I, uh, during worship, I, I just said, Lord, you know, open up something in the word to me. So I put the Bible on my forehead and just prayed and I opened, I did one of those spontaneous open the word thing, right? You know, so uh, anyways, it came, it actually came out um, in Isaiah 49, verse eight. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will prepare, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. And I thought, Lord, are you speaking that for us today? And I felt the Lord say, yes, that there is a desolate heritage in Canada. A heritage that desolate means it's been left alone. No one's living, they're not living the fullness of the heritage. This, and America, this nation, our nations have been built on the word of God. It's a heritage of our forefathers. It's the, the, the founders of this great nation of Canada and America are built as Christian nations. And I feel like that if we will walk in probably a little bit of what I want to teach in a few minutes on righteousness, that we will actually start to step into a desolate inheritance. In other words, an inheritance that's not lived in, that's still there. It doesn't mean a no heritage. It means it's just not lived in. It's desolate. It's barren. But the heritage is still there. I love it because when, you, when, uh, when it talks about the earth, it's actually talking about a land or a country. And so I want to apply us today because when I came in earlier and the worship team was, was, was getting ready and set up before the service, um, I watched Doreen putting some reserve, seats up, reserve signs up just to, to save some seats for people that, that, are, that are ministering today coming in a bit later. And uh, as we both were walking back and she was holding a reserve sign, I see in the spirit reserved across her forehead. I'm like, What? You know, Lord, what do you mean? And this word came to me, reserved for his presence, reserved for his presence. And so I went into the office, I I continued praying and, and, and driving into this a little deeper. We are reserved for God's presence. If anything not of God is in us, then whatever that is, is invading God's reservation in our lives. If anything that is not of God that is in us is invading the reservation sign, I know that if you had a reserved seat somewhere, uh, let's say you paid big money for a concert and you were reserved on a front row seat and someone came and sat in your seat, you probably wouldn't just go, oh, hey, I'm I'm glad you, you like the seat I just paid 150 bucks for. I'll go sit in the back somewhere. No, they're invading your reservation. And so anything that is in our lives that is not of God, you should actually be so frustrated at it that you ask it to get out of your reserve seat because the reservation is his presence for us. And I want us to make sure that we stay in a reserved capacity in our heart understanding that, the res- that, that basically what is in my life, the re- reservation that is in my life is for the presence of God. Amen? Anyway, it's just a little thought I had. Maybe I'll post it on social media later. We'll see. 
I'll process it. But we're excited for what God is doing and doing here. And thanks for your, your generous giving. It is truly a blessing. Um, I, I, I love the, the battle goes back and forth, you know, on tithing or giving or this and that. And I don't know. I study the Word of God. And if we really want to follow New Testament, give it all. You know, not a percentage. I, you know, just give it all because that's really what the Word is saying in New Testament. Old Testament was 10%. But, so I just want to bless you guys. We never want to push anyone to give. What we actually see in our heart is in our own lives as we blessed, as we gave, blessing came back to us. So we actually just want to open an opportunity for you to be blessed for the expansion of the kingdom, amen? Because I believe that we're all in this room, every one of us, no matter what you believe about giving, every one of us is here to receive a greater blessing of the Lord in our lives. I can't give you that blessing. I can bless you as a man, but God is the blessing we're after. It's his blessing that we're looking for, amen? So I want to encourage us, but in that, we're very missions driven. I grew up a missionary kid, five generations of ministry in me. I know what poverty is. I lived in it on the mission field. When we came back to Canada, we had supporters that, that were like, well, now you're back in Canada to my parents that we're not going to support you anymore because you're not on the mission field. No, my parents had graduated into the senior leadership role of Western Canada for the whole mission. They were recruiting missionaries now to send them out. And so they actually had advanced in a position, but people were like, well, you're not down there doing the stuff. And, and so I actually lived in poverty. I grew up in, uh, in Mission VC as we moved back to Canada. I was in AHOP housing. How many of you know what that is? Government-assisted housing. And, uh, and that was it. We didn't eat out. How many of you remember in my era or earlier, eating out was like something incredibly special. I remember the special events Maybe once every five or six months, we would get a special treat to do a McDonald's. And now how many of us eat out on a regular basis, right? Like, but it's all changed, right? But in that, there's a passion in my heart to, to not just preach the gospel, but be the gospel of Jesus Christ on this earth. That everyone in this place, everyone connected with this family, all of our, our over 100 churches and ministries around the world, our passion is that we don't just have it in our head as head knowledge, but that we actually take what we know and apply it wisely in our life, and that creates wisdom of what we understand. If you use it in your head, but you don't go any farther, you're not a wise person, you have lots of knowledge. And how many of you know the one group that Jesus rebuked the most was the Pharisee Sadducees because they had a lot of head knowledge, but they were applying it for their own gain. They had their own little, I want to say a cult, but it wasn't. It was, it was, a cult is actually a, an okay thing. It means a gathering of people. A false cult's a bad thing. But they had their gathering that supported their vision and what they wanted to do. And so they really got upset at Jesus because he was actually teaching a new way, and it bothered the religious. But in that, we must not just hear the word, we must be the living word in our lives. And that's what I want to, uh, something I want to introduce in just a few minutes with Ekbalo Ministries. It's a supernatural school, it's bathed in prayer in the word, uh, it's, it's senior base is in Hawaii, I know it's tough, but they live in Hawaii on the big island. Uh, they're starting up another brand new center, Ekbalo Center in Bend, Oregon this next weekend. They've got Ekbalo Pasadena, and, and this is a it's, a, it's a mission statement of schooling that says, we're not going to just teach you, we're actually going to 
teach and pour into you what it is to be family, to go into the nations, to go into the world and do this stuff, whether it's in your business, in your home, or in your family. So we absolutely love Iqbalo, uh, very connected. Uh, they've been friends with Lou and Therese Engel for many years and connected with what was the call, used to be called the call. And, uh, but you know what? I'm on their board of directors, and I'm not on many board of directors, but I trust these guys so much and know that God has an incredible uh, purpose in what these mothers and fathers, what they can do, I can't do. I mean, I just, I don't even try to be what they can be. I listen to the things that they, they walk people through, and they literally are helping deliver people in the school of many things that they didn't think they had, but it, it all manifests. How many of you know that when you're all together, sometimes things manifest, right? Anyone ever had that in a family where you're all together and you're tired, it's, sometimes it gets grumpy? These guys are like mamas and papas that literally invest the effort and time. And I, I'm going to show a video here in just a second on, on Ekbala School in Hawaii because if you don't need to go, someone you know needs to go and be a part of it. And it's a nine-month nine training that they walk you through uh, years one and two, and it's absolutely powerful, amen. So let's just show uh, the video now. I'm here down in the southernmost part of the United States of America. It's South Point, Hawaii, and there is a house of prayer right down here, a community of radical young believers being fathered by my best friends, the Halls. Rod and Marion Hall have been with us about 12 years. And they're the best fathers and mothers that I've ever seen. They disciple young men and women, bring them into wholeness so that they can fulfill their destinies. And it was years ago that Rod got a vision and God spoke to him about 100,000 people being sent into the mission field. Little did he know that I was calling for the same thing at the same time. God has brought us together here for the last seven years in the Ekbala House of Prayer. We've been praying laborers into the harvest field. And out of it is a movement coming that we believe staying in Christianity. 80 million souls being saved and 100,000 missionaries. The word Ekbala comes from the scripture, pray the Lord of the harvest to Ekbala. Hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. And I believe here in the southernmost part of the United States is a lighthouse of prayer that affects the whole nation. We want to invite you to be a part of a prayer fire and change history with friends, brothers, and sisters that dare to believe that the future belongs to the innocents. Come join us in church. The Ebola House of Prayer. Amen. How much for a vision of 100,000 laborers into the mission field? Amen. Let's, let's all stand and, and welcome the founders and the president of Ekbalo Ministries. Good morning. Thank you. Bless the Lord. Well, there's a couple things I want to say. Where's the brother that... that you were sitting right over here. Where'd he go? Oh, he's downstairs with the kids. I just, I just need, uh, I was just thinking, you know, we need him like on a Wednesday morning when you're, you're getting up and you're just not feeling it. You just need him. You just need him to. Uh, 
Put a little bit of that passion in your life. But seriously, what do you do on a Wednesday morning when you're just like, ah, you know, there's a, you've got a heavy schedule, your life is busy, there's bills, all that stuff. Do what he did. Doesn't matter what you feel like. You get up and you just bless the Lord and you get excited about who God is. Totally transforms your day and your, your outlook and, and how you do life. It's, learn a lesson there. That's, I, I was just sitting there thinking, man, I just, I want that. I want to be able to, you know, I, I don't, I'll never be able to sing like he does. Or, but I, I want that in my, I want that, the spirit of that and to carry that. We all need it. Um, this is my girlfriend. She's so beautiful. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um, okay, so in Hawaii, yes, come suffer for Jesus. Actually, it's really missional training because we are in the outback of the outback. So um, the big island of Hawaii is more the indigenous, more the local, not quite so much the, the um, resort uh, feel. But uh, we're down an hour and a half from civilization. We have to drive an hour and a half to go grocery shopping. And should I stand here? I don't know. It was echoing. So um, anyhow, uh, yes, we speak English. Yes, we can bank like American banks. And we have cell phones, but that's it. It's, the rest of it is a different culture. So it's an amazing stepping stone into a missional mindset to prepare. It's like if we're praying, Lord of the harvest, thrusts forth laborers into the harvest. Ekbalo, violently thrust out laborers into the harvest. If we're not willing to be representatives right where we are and begin shifting atmosphere. One of the pastor's wives said, the atmosphere shifted as soon as your students moved into town. What are we doing? Are we shifting atmosphere? We're praying for souls. God, send us souls. God, give us souls. What are we going to do with the souls? Do you know that those souls are going to come and eat at our dinner table? They're going to make a mess of our living room. They're going to eat our refrigerator and everything that's in it because we're going to love them. We're going to do Acts 2 Christianity. It's lifestyle Christianity. It's fathers and mothers having spiritual sons and daughters that they can go out and be spiritual fathers and mothers. There's a thing of going to the nations that we want to be able to send out prayer teams to be able to go ahead of the evangelists, ahead of the prophets, ahead of the church planters. We want to send out teams that are not going to shipwreck once they're on a foreign shore. We want to be able to push them and, and cause pressure within an environment of love and safety that they can begin prophesying, praying for the sick and seeing heal, healing, seeing the lame walk, seeing the blind see. And, you know, even in the midst of a soccer game or a Frisbee game, being able to see a shoulder get healed because we stop and pray. Then take that to the nations. Take the love that we have for one another, that they would know that we are his disciples because of the love that we have for one another. So, anyhow, come. <laughs> See, I told you she's beautiful. Well, we'll just take a couple minutes. I, I want to hear the word. Um, first of all, Brent, I just want to thank you for your friendship. We, uh, we just enjoy coming here. Just Really, you guys are family to us. We, uh, 
we just came here just to hang out and, and just be with you and, and enjoy friendship and and uh, gonna miss you guys, Barb and Kevin. You're part of part of the family too. But you know what? We will come visit you. <laughs> I'll take you up on that uh, that offer that he gave. <laughs> I want to just, whoa, is that, you okay? Um, I want to just uh, tell a little story that uh, Kevin is going to go along with what you're saying this morning. As far as, and I think you even mentioned it, New Testament is not 10%. New Testament is, it's all, it's all his. There was a time back in 1996-ish where we were, seeking God for our destiny, you know, and I was, we were transfer, um, transitioning from business into, we knew we were called into ministry, and so I'm, the Lord challenged me, called me to go spend the night in prayer, all night, praying all night long, and uh, you tell me if I need to do something here, guys, okay, so I'm praying all night long to uh, encounter God for our destiny, I come back in the morning, and Marion says, well, what do you say? What, what, you know, what's our destiny? And I, I opened my Bible to Mark chapter 10, and I started reading about the rich young ruler. You know, the story, right, where he comes in and Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you own, give it away, come and follow me. And I said, there we go. That's, this is it. This is our destiny. And Marion's like, What? That's not God. I mean, who does that? We're, we're not, you know, of course, so we kind of rationalized it away. And it took us a year and a half to, to move from that place of hearing the word and saying, okay, Lord, we'll, you know, and we, we actually did it. We, we sold everything we had. We wrote a check to an orphanage and we gave it away and, and we did it now. I've been meditating this scripture the last few days. I didn't really know why, but I think it's for you. Okay, so this is my, my mini-sermon. Um, what's the verse? So the, Jesus talking to the, to the disciples, he, and he says, uh, with, they, he basically says, it's, it's how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, well, who can be saved then? And he says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, right? That's, that's, that, that's our verse. We hang on to that. All things are possible. We're, we do crazy stuff in our life, and we, we watch the God of the possible come through for us time after time. Now look at this, verse 29 of Mark chapter 10 says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions in this and in the age to come, eternal life. I can testify to you that, that we, we stepped out into that place of full surrender, full obedience, giving all. And it's like we signed the, the, the contract, the blank contract saying, yes, Lord, our lives are yours. 
And we have walked in this. We moved to Hawaii. I didn't, you know, there are people who work all their life to retire to Hawaii. We went there pursuing the vision and purpose of God. And, and in the last year, we have watched the Lord open huge doors for us. I sit on my, <clears throat> I sit on my deck every morning. I just, it just, oh God, you're so good. You know, it's just overwhelming the goodness of God. And you cannot, <laughs> you cannot outgive the Lord. You, you, you just, just say yes to him. My life is yours. And he will take you on an adventure that will, that will make, you know, you won't need to watch movies. You won't need to be entertained by the world because it's, it's, your life will be so full. So anyway, we, uh, I just want to challenge you. God is good. He's, he's way better than you think he is. I'm telling you. So Iqbalo's school, we are, we are raising up a generation of world changers. We're raising up a generation that, that is, they're called, they're, they're sent ones. I have a whole vision encounter with the Lord where he's raising up an army of sent ones. Those that are equipped, trained, prepared, they're going to the nations of the earth, the unreached of the earth, and they're not looking back. There's a generation that, that is sitting right here in this room that they're, they're getting marked with the presence of God and they're getting marked with the destiny of God in their lives and they are going into places that have never heard the gospel before. Did you know that there are 3.1 billion people right now on this planet that don't know who Jesus is? They've never heard the gospel. Some of you are called to be part of that army. I'm just telling you, some of you are called. It doesn't matter your age. Some of you are called to step out of your comfort zone and say, yes, Lord, and, and go on an adventure with him that will, that will change you forever and will touch lives for eternity. So come join us. Amen. Praise God. It's a change. You know, I uh, was over, Sharon and I were over last year. Uh, we went over for a week to minister uh, with Ekbalo, and it's just amazing. We re really wanted to this year, and my schedule didn't permit it. They invited me and invited me, and my schedule was so busy. But we're already booking for next year to head over and, and be a part of the school. I, I really want to encourage you. There's a lot of good schools out there. But this is good ground. It is actually really, really good ground. And if you really look at the financial side of it, it's actually less than many other schools out there. So they, they, they are not getting rich financially off this. They are getting rich spiritually. And they're pouring and feeding it back in to you. I know, like I said, I'm a board member. So I'm very aware of everything. And, and bless these guys. You know what? I know as a missionary kid growing up, my parents would come and, and promote Wycliffe Bible translators and what was happening in the mission field. And, uh, and sometimes the church would give a little bit. We're going to bless them already. They're not expecting it, but we already have decided as a leadership team, we're going to bless them from the church. But you know what really impacted my family? was when, uh, and impacted me as a little kid, was when people after the service would just slip them some cash. I just want to encourage you if it's on your heart. 
especially if you have American. But in Canadian, they accept Canadian too. It's just, anyways. Um, I've been ministering on a series of the Beatitudes, and I know it's kind of far and in between sometimes each of the messages because I've been traveling. But I'm on the fourth Beatitude, and I want to just go over quickly. Beatitude one is self. It's about self-minded poverty. It says in Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're to live in self-minded poverty. In other words, self-attitude is to be poor. We're not to live with a poverty mindset. We're to live with an attitude, a personal attitude that is poor. Does that make sense? In other words, my way does not trump God's way. My way, my desire, my attitude does not overcome God's desire and attitude in my heart and in my lives. We are, we are to live with a, a self-mindset of, of poverty. Does that make sense? Poor in spirit, that's what it's talking about. That I cannot do it on my own, but because of him, I can do it. I can do all things through Jesus, Christ Jesus, and, and Rod quoted the scripture today. Poor in self-spirit brings us into the riches of his kingdom. If we could just turn my lows down a bit, the bottom end, it, it just hearing a little bit of hum in the lows of my voice, the actual lows. I cannot do it on my own, but because of him, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. How many of you truly believe what I just read in my notes? I cannot do it on my own. But you see, our societies of North America are saying, you can do it on your own, you can do it on your own, you can do it on your own. And it's created a selfish culture which is anti-Christ to the kingdom culture. The kingdom of God is not selfish. The kingdom of God is about love and blessings. It's about pouring out his spirit on all people. We have to have the understanding. I was a doer. I'm a, some people say I'm a type A driven personality. What's the new thing? What is it? What? Enneagram. Anyone heard of something like that? I don't know. Some new. How many of you know the, the you're a sanguine or you're a type A? Remember all those things? Well, now there's a new one out there. And, of course, my daughter's had me take the test. But, you know, my problem with taking those kind of tests is that I'm pr- processing what they're trying to ask me to get me to come over to this side here. And I'm like, poor in self-spirit brings us into the riches of his kingdom. How many of you want to live every day in the riches of the kingdom of God? Well, the only thing stopping us, between our ears, because the kingdom of God, the riches of his kingdom, is not subject to, again, I want you to hear what I'm saying, is not subject to, wow, Okay, we have an offering basket up there. This isn't for me. This is for the halls, okay? So if you want to do something over and above, just do it. I've been in countries where they put a basket and the preacher said, the better you preach, the more you make. <laughs> so I tried to preach one of my worst services because that actually offended me. It's like, what, what, did you bring me in as a performing monkey? Wind me up and pop goes the weasel. Yeah, uh-uh. Any of you know me, I'm not going to do it for performance, even though some people say you're performance-driven. Actually, I'm driven by excellence. It's a kingdom principle. Jesus hung on the cross excellent. He died excellence. 
and he rose again in excellence. The attitude, be, be attitude, the be attitudes, I call them the be slash attitude is what you're to be. The second one was, and again, go back on, on our YouTube or the windward.tv or Facebook of Windward Ministries, and you can watch these services, or these, these first ones. Uh, the Beatitude 2 is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Of course, when you're in a difficult season, there's mourning, if a loved one's passed away. But the mourning that Jesus is actually talking about is not self-pity or the bitter cry of a victim. It's not, oh, poor me. I have to be poor in spirit, poor me, oh, I am poor, and then cry out, oh, God, Uh, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. You're only a victim in your own mindset, but God doesn't call you a victim. He calls you a son with the inheritance of the kingdom. It's not a victim. Uh, So the morning that Jesus talked about is not self-pity or the bitter cry of the victim, no, It's the mourning of the culprit, of the guilty one, from the direction of our sin to the light. If I'm going to have a a spirit of mourning, it's, oh God, why? Oh, why did I do that in my life? I knew it was sin. Why did I do that? Oh God, I'm going to mourn in such a way that it will drive me from doing it. It is a mourning and recognition of our offenses before a loving God, but God doesn't see them just as an offense. He sees them as an opportunity to provide you testimony of victory. 2 Corinthians 7.10 said, this is part of the second uh, uh, beatitude, 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. If you don't have godly sorrow of your past sins, you don't even walk to true repentance. And so if you're continually living in your sins, uh, then you have to question you don't have godly sorrow of it. Because the godly sorrow leads to repentance. And what does repentance lead to? Repentance means a change of direction. That our godly sorrow, not, oh, I'm sad. No, I'm sad that I messed up. But you know what? I'm so bummed out that I messed up. I'm changing my lifestyle. I'm changing my mindset. I'm changing my attitude. And I'm not going to do that same mess up again. I'm going to learn from it. It'll become the power of testimony in my life. And I'm going to lead it right into my salvation. And after that, I'm going to fly higher and higher in everything that God calls me into, amen? Beatitude three was Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is to be humble, to be submitted. That's a big one. How many of you like to be submitted to someone or something or a group? Some don't even like to be submitted in a marriage, and that didn't work well. You two people that don't want to be submitted to each other, it doesn't work well. You don't have a good relationship at all. Oh, no, all the women are looking at me. He's going to start preaching. Why submit to your husbands? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to preach first to the men. Read the scripture just before it, the verse just before it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. In other words, be willing to die for them. I know some wives have tried the husband to die sooner than they were supposed to because he had a big insurance policy, but that's okay. That's not okay, actually. You don't do that. (laughs) So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek in this sense is to be humble, 
to be submitted, to be gentle, yet strong. I love to show a, a racehorse, a purebred racehorse. When they're in pasture, they're eating, they're jumping around, they kick around a little bit, they get put in their stall, and, and that's for their own safety and health. So they're not out there all night breaking a leg, and they get put into a stall, and they're comfortable and whatnot. But I'll tell you what, when they get to the track, and a bridle gets put into their mouth, and a saddle on their back, that passive racehorse has an inner strength that is chomping at the bit. That's what it means. Chomping at the bit. Anyone heard that expression or am I just older than you guys? It means the racehorse has the bit in their mouth and they're chomping. Oh, I just bit my lip, but they're chomping, you know. <laughs> they're chomping to get going. Why? Because blessed are the meek are submitted, they're gentle, they're humble, but yet they're strong. And when that gate opens, when Jesus Christ went into the temple and they were, they were literally defiling the temple, he was very meek. He went in there, turned over the things, the tables, and ran out quickly. He was like a gentle, submitted, humble, but yet a man of great fire, a man of great passion. Attitude four that I want to preach on here quickly. It's an attitude that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Matthew 5, verse 6. Let's look at it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. How many of you know when you see the, the expression at the end of a verse, they shall be filled, for they shall. How many of you know in scripture studies, especially if you've gone to seminary training, but even if you haven't, you can read that and know that is not a question. It is not an option. It is a truth. It's an absolute, what we call in scriptures. So whenever we have an absolute in a verse, I love to reread over and over the first part. Because if I obey the first part, if I live in such a level to the first part, if there's such a hunger in me in the first part, then it will happen in my life. Just like in giving. I know we don't want to do that. The scripture says, test me on it. Not me, but him. It's like, there's an absolute. If you love someone, you're going to see a different response than if you hate them or dislike them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We can all relate to being hungry and thirsty. How many of you sat in the traffic jam out there after work at supper time and you're hungry? No one? Have you ever been thirsty on a hot summer day? And when you're hungry, your body starts talking to you. How many have had a grumbling tummy? Sometimes it's not always because you're hungry. Sometimes it just grumbles. I don't know why. But I've been hungry. I'm getting hungry now. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at the clock. I'm sniffing my food before I even know what it is. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. An absolute of scripture. When we're thirsty on a hot day, nothing satisfies like a nice, cool drink. 
Not a bear. I'm just kidding. A nice, cool drink. Nice, cool lemonade. Glass of water. Iced tea. Southern tea. Anybody like southern tea? I like it sweetened, but I like it. Because I used to live in North Carolina for four years. Many sailors that were dying, you know, their boat sank. They get into a life raft, and they're literally dying of thirst out there. They will drink anything. They want to drink anything. And we don't even want to discuss things that these sailors have drunk trying to stay alive. But they get, let's say they wash up on a little remote island, and there's a really dirty pond sitting there. How many would run to the pond and look at it, and I'm dying of thirst. I'm dehydrated for 40 days or 30 days or whatever it is. I'm dying of thirst, and that pond's water does not meet Canadian code. I need a reverse osmosis filter before I'm going to drink it. Maybe an ultraviolet UV light to kill the bacteria. Maybe I'll boil it for 12 minutes, but I don't have a pot or a fire to boil it in. So you know what? I'm going to sit by the dirty pond and die. Uh -uh. I don't know any dying of thirst individual that comes upon a lake or a pond or a river or any form of water that's dirty is not going to drink it. Because I would rather suffer the bacteria and the amoebas later and get healthy in drinking the water into my body. Amen? I have to ask myself regularly, do I have that same attitude for righteousness? Am I that hungry? We've done many feeding programs around the world into very, very poor areas and regions. We think, oh, we're poor, you know, we're poor in Canada. We don't understand poverty in Canada. We really don't. Poverty in areas in Africa, that I, in India that I've been into, they literally, a, a wife, maybe her husband has died and, of AIDS or whatever, and she's got seven or eight children. She's literally deciding which child's going to starve to death first because she's going to feed the ones, other ones to keep them alive. That's poverty. But you know what? Every time we've done a feeding program and these kids and these people are starving, they come anxiously. There is a, we try to hold them back, but there is a pressure pushing on the people to come and get food. That's what hungry means. And that's what this be attitude is talking about. Would I change everything in my life that would keep me from righteousness? That's what it's saying. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. And we're to meditate on these things. What do we meditate on? Well, I'll tell you what to meditate on. Meditate on verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, meditate on whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Could I hear an amen? amen? In other words, don't meditate on, oh, oh, the country's in disarray. Oh, the carbon tax is too high. Oh, it's a bummer. I don't like paying it either. But if I meditate on all the problems in the world and the issues, oh, my goodness, what is North Korea going to do? I don't know what they're going to do, but I know one thing. I'm not meditating on what they might do or not. I'm going to pray into it with the authority of victory, rebuking any rise up of the enemy or devil to invade us in any way in Jesus' name. Maybe I don't agree with everything our government is doing, but I'm not going to meditate every day on the problems that I see. 
Because even we know in business that if you meditate on the problems of the business and don't become the solution to the problem, your business will fail. We're aware of these solutions. We're aware of the problems, but the solutions are here. The solutions for Canada, the solutions for our carbon tax, the solutions for everything is here in his kingdom come and his will be done. I refuse to meditate all day on the issues and problems. Am I getting that point across? Because I love you guys. See, I'm smiling. When I smile, it means I love you. I'm happy. That doesn't mean that. Because we can all smile fakely. But I know one thing. God is not fake. And he is smiling down upon us. And he is looking. Matter of fact, in Psalms, it talks about he is sitting on his throne and he is laughing at the enemy. He's actually laughing at him. Well, God doesn't laugh, does he? My Bible says he does. That's something about the joy. You know, when you choose joy, you usually get happy, right? How does a martyr standing in front of a firing squad for his faith choose the joy and, and literally be shot with joy coming from his lips? Because he chose the joy of the Lord. It's not an emotional choice. Joy is a choice which creates an emotion. Well, this makes me feel happy, so it must be God. Oh, heaven forbid you think that. This is God, and this makes you happy. But because you feel happy about something doesn't always mean it's God. Finally, brethren, again, meditate on these things. Whatever things are true, meditate on true. If you meditate on the things people have said falsely about you all the time, oh, it drives me nuts. It's hard. But if I meditate on that, I let their issue take me out. If you meditate on a bad relationship and what they said to you, you will carry that bad relationship and you'll never let it die. You're, you're the one keeping it alive through meditating on the wrong things instead of the right things. Because whatever was said to you, if it was wrong and it was bad, you're better than that. I'm here to declare that to you. You don't deserve those words. You didn't deserve that offense. You didn't deserve what things were spoken over you. If you did deserve it, admit it, repent, and get clear of it and clean of it. Meditate on things that are true. Meditate on things that are noble. Meditate on things that are just. Go after justice. Meditate on things that are pure. Meditate on things that are lovely. Meditate on things of good report. Good report, the testimonies. It's good report. The, 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 the tumor on that Muslim woman in, in Pakistan, it's a good report that it disappeared. And it's an even gooder report that the whole family came and got saved the next night. I tell you, that's a good report. I'm going to meditate on that. In her full burqa, couldn't look me in the eye, but came to me after the crusade and said, would you pray to your God to heal me? I said, well, my God is the healer and the only healer, and I know he wants to heal you. And she, without looking at me, she pulled the face of her burqa away, 
and there's this tumor on her neck. I put my hand on it as I am praying. I had the faith that could move mountains at that moment. I am praying, and I'm feeling this lump like a gourd or tumor just shrink. But when she felt, and she felt this, she quickly put her face thing over again and looked into my eyes with tears pouring down her face. I know I shared that testimony a couple weeks ago, but I'm, I'm meditating on it again. I will keep it alive because that's the fire of his presence. That's not some man performing something. That is God performing his desire on this earth, and I got to be a part of it. In faith, I could step out on it because I became a B-attitude for a moment. It was a good thing. And then the next night, I tell you, must have been 15 to 20. Every woman was covered up. And the men of the family came. They would look me in the eye. The women wouldn't. And I said, I'm going to pray to the same God I prayed to yesterday that healed your mother and your wife because that God is going to heal you. And the man said, but I'm not sick. I said, you're not sick physically, but you are sick spiritually, and God's going to heal your sickness. And he broke into tears. I didn't even lay hands on him yet. And then laid hands on him and the whole family. No more burkas. Like all the faces came clear. The younger ladies, that maybe they're later teenagers, early 20s, they pull them off and look into a man's eyes, probably for the first time, without getting beaten. I tell you what, the gospel I'm preaching and teaching and talking about is life everlasting. It is the shift and the change that, that, that literally surpasses every issue and every problem in our lives. It is literally life forevermore in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Meditate on these things that are praiseworthy. Jesus calls us to an attitude that longs for righteousness. We need to run towards righteousness as we would hunger for good, satisfying food. We need to thirst for righteousness as if it's the good, purest water that we have ever seen in our life. God does not want to fill us with things that will destroy us. God wants to fill us with his righteousness that will actually release us into the blessings of his kingdom come and his will be done in your life and in my life on earth as it is in heaven. Not when you die, but now, now, now on this place. Matthew 5, 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds... <laughs> We're learning how to exceed in righteousness, meditate on the good things. That's a start. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds 
the righteousness of the scribes. If your righteousness does not exceed your knowledge, if your righteousness does not exceed just what you memorize, if your righteousness does not exceed your own cultish perspective of how you interpret the Bible, I say cultish because the word cult is not necessarily bad. False cult is bad. If you look at the word cult, it's a gathering of people that have come together. We're actually, I got to be careful because I guarantee someone's going to cut this off the video and say, he said he called themselves a cult. But we are, if you actually look at the word, we're just not, we're a good one, not a false one. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So many people, I'm learning this over and over again. I was so focused on the gifts and the fivefold, I still am. But what something's transitioned in me even more and more, and I'm actually focusing on his presence in his righteousness. Because I tell you what, you can call yourself a prophet, you can call yourself an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, an apostle. There's so many people calling themselves so many different things. But where is the righteousness? Where is the, the passion in the presence of God? So hungry in their life that they, they actually don't want to call themselves a fivefold. They want to say, I don't care what gift I am. What matters is that I am so passionately sold out to him. I am so hungry for his righteousness. I am so thirsty for his righteousness that my title has no importance to you and me on this earth. My title, if I have one, it's called a son that is in love with his father. When Jesus was speaking about righteousness, he was not referring to a moral goodness or law keeping. You know how many people lose out on their righteousness because they focus on keeping the law. Listen. Laws are there for a reason, absolutely. But you know what? I spent years when I was younger focusing on not sinning. And every time I would sin again, and I beat myself up, you know, internally. Oh, God, I can't believe I did that. I even blame God sometimes. God, why did you let me do that? And then I realized that I'm trying to stop an act because of law, which means I'm living in broken law trying to reinforce it. It's kind of like you speed down the road but you fight not to get a ticket. What if we lived in a culture where you actually didn't break the law? What if we could have an intimacy with God where I don't have to force myself not to sin, I actually force myself to have more of His presence in my life to such a level that actually sin can't function in me because there's too much light and darkness can't live with light. law was built for old covenant's sake because Adam and Eve stepped out of the covenant. Covenant of a relationship with the Father. But new covenant, Jesus brought a new covenant which abol abolished the old law. It didn't change the kingdom principles. It brought to light the ability that you and I can go personally in our own spirit with the Holy Spirit 
saved by Jesus, through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we can personally go into the relationship with the Father. That you don't have to go to a man, or you don't have to go to a woman to get that relationship. You just have to go to the source of the relation. And he's your Father. Jesus called us to be filled with a righteousness that is not tied by our own understanding of right and wrong. Righteousness is not, righteousness is not us trying our hardest to do better. Righteousness is actually living in such a, a perspective of him and his presence that you just automatically do better instead of striving to do better. Of course we practice. Of course the bands up here practice. Of course I even over the years have practiced preaching and practiced teaching. And I went to, to seminary and I learned how to put a message together. Of course that's perfecting what we're called into doing. That's, that's moving and advancing forward in what we're called. But I'm not doing it for my identity. I'm doing it because of his identity in me. Righteousness is being hungry and thirsty to be in right relationship with God and with man. It's righteousness. We are not on the earth to offend God and we are not on the earth to offend man. Listen to what I'm saying. We are on earth to bring the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven will offend the devil and sin. First, in our own lives, it's called righteousness. I'm not on the earth to fight against a sinner. I actually love the person. I just hate the sin. I'm on the earth to bring life into the sinful world, to bring light of Jesus Christ into the sinful world. And in that, darkness will flee in Jesus' name. And when someone comes against me, you know, even spiritually or whatever, I'm not at war with that person or individual or group that disagrees with my moral biblical standards. I'm not at war with that group. Just like as brothers and sisters, we should, in Jesus, we should never be at war with each other. We go after everything that God is in our life. Everything else is going to happen the way it is, but be the shining light of Jesus Christ. That is the power of the testimony of the cross. Oh, no, the cross was just for my salvation. No, that's selfish. It's a selfish attitude because that salvation for you was to actually lead others into salvation as well through the power of your own testimony through Jesus Christ in you. Jesus promises that he will fill us with his life, which enables us to live righteousness in every situation. Let's stand. Jesus promises that we, if we live filled in his life in us, his life, his testimony enables us to be that testimony to the people around us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. You want a filling of him? Oh, let's go up to the, the man of God. I hear that in, internationally. 
Pakistan and Africa. Let me touch the man of God. I don't want you touching me. I want you touching him. Oh yeah, they grab my shirt and my pant legs and everything that they can touch because that's ingrained in them. They did it to Jesus. They did it to the disciples. They should be doing it to us in a sense if we're living a life similar to what the disciples lived. But the reality is, is the disciples didn't do it so they could be people could touch them. They did it so they could touch Jesus directly. And that's what we do. It's what we do here. Samuel Robinson was here last Sunday. He did what he did so you could touch Jesus. I'm doing what I'm doing today so you and I can touch Jesus. He's the healer. I believe some of you right now. I don't have to get hyped up. Just get rid of your healing. Let your sickness right now and be healed in Jesus' name. Well, no, doesn't someone have to lay hands? No, no, just, just get in the presence. Deeper. Deeper. Yeah, but the Bible says lay hands on people. Absolutely. But the Bible does not say that God can't heal you without laying on of hands. Be healed. Check your body. See what's up. See if any change is happening. Be healed in Jesus' name. And check your body right now. I believe we're entering into a season of His presence. That when we're in His presence, your sickness can't reside there. That where we're in his presence, you don't have to have a prophet come and prophesy to you. That when we enter this deeper realm of his presence and you say, well, hold it, I'm already in the deepest realm of his presence. Don't be selfish. That's ridiculous. His spirit is being poured out on all flesh. That means it's increasing. There's more being poured out today than there was yesterday or 10 years ago. That's how I take that scripture. Both Joel and Acts say it very clearly. That's how I interpret it. If your interpretation is different, so be it. But my interpretation is in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I would say we're in a laster day today than we were yesterday. We're closer to the last day today than we were yesterday, amen? And the spirit's being poured out on all flesh in the last days. I'm getting more of his spirit today than I had yesterday, amen? That's just how I wake up. It's how I roll. If you don't like to roll that way, grow up. I'm just kidding. No, uh, I love you. But seriously, if we're not increasing, it's not God's fault. If we're not being healed, it's actually not God's fault. Yeah, but what if I pray and, and I'm not healed? Well, are you living in the attitude of a healing? Or are you living in the depression of a sickness? Even secular doctors now are reporting that one of the number one causes of cancer is negativity, depression. Interesting how secular doctors can preach the word. So be healed. 
when you walk out of this place, don't walk out sick. Walk out healed in Jesus' name. Right now, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, receive him in Jesus' name. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Believe on him and you shall be saved. Just believe on him right now. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me from my sins. That's it. Just be saved. Well, don't you have to do a sinner's prayer? No, it's not even in the scripture. We usually do it because we utilize it as a confession and it gives us option to get people's names that we can help them walk through it. But you need Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been backslidden and you need a restoration in your life. Be restored in Jesus' name right now because the whole reason you're not is not God or Jesus. And it's not because of your past. That's forgiven. It's done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do we believe it? Let's put your Put your hand on the shoulder to your left and say, you absolutely are amazing. And it is, I am so happy to know you. Now look, put your hand on the shoulder to your right. I'm still praying for you because I'm uncertain. No, don't say that. Just, you're amazing. Absolutely amazing. God has created you for destiny and purpose. Now take both of your hands. Take both of your hands. Huh, I'm going to do this prophetically. I just feel I hear it in, in, in the spirit. Put your right hand on your heart. Oh, God. No, I'm just kidding. Right hand on your heart. Put your left hand on your mind. Stand on one leg. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Stick your tongue out and spin it in opposite direction. No. Father, heal our hearts and heal our minds. I feel like the Lord is saying your hearts aren't healed because your mind has to be healed first. It's called the renewed mind of Jesus Christ. Heal my mind, Father. Let me be focused on the good things that are happening around us. Let me not dwell and meditate on the problems and the issues of the past, present, or future. But let me meditate day and night on your goodness, on your love, because you first loved us. Thank you, Father, that we are sons and daughters of you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill my mind to change and fill my heart. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen. Love you. Be blessed. Be blessed. For this is a good, good day, and God made it for his victory to be established in our lives. Bless you all.